0: and the Los Angeles Rams. And you've been listening to the news on RTHK. spread of disease, make sure all drainage traps contain water. Pour half a liter of water into each drain outlet every week. Check sinks, baths, toilets, and floor drain outlets regularly. If drainage pipes are leaking or blocked, or drain outlets emit a foul smell, arrange prompt inspection and repair by a qualified person. Don't alter drains and pipes on your own. Visit chp.gov.hk for details.
1: Good morning and welcome to another episode of The Week on 3. I'm your host, Christy Lai. Hope you had a wonderful week so far. Like always, I'll be bringing you my most favorite and interesting interviews from the past week here on Radio 3. Let's start today's program with something that we might encounter on a daily basis. I don't know about you, but I used to see lots of wild animals on my way to school. Monkeys, especially. You mostly would encounter some sort of wild animal at some point if you visit the countryside. But what if you saw an injured bird or turtle? Would you know what to do? The Kaduri Farm and Botanic Gardens is a conservation and education center in Tai Po with more than 50 attractions. The organization not only rescues and rehabilitates native animals, but also holds tours to let the general public understand more about organic farming, sustainable lifestyles, and nature conservation. On Monday's Trash Talk, Marcy Trent Long spoke to Warren Demir, executive director of the Kaduri Farm and Botanic Gardens, about their latest animal rescue efforts and their environmental initiatives.
2: Yeah, so we actually we got. A, if you look at a different taxa, we've got a lot of birds, so basically a lot of injured birds, so a lot of uh, raptors who are injured because they express into something, and we nurture them back if they're healthy enough, and nurture them back into nature. It goes from serpent eagles to a lot of kites. We have gosh hawks, so all the birds are coming in. Also simply doves are coming in or smaller birds. So birds are almost 40% of all the animals which come into our rescue center. Are those
1: birds being trafficked? Are those birds like- No,
2: in general they are injured. And especially in the summer season when it's the breeding season and they fall out of the nest and they're not ready yet to fly then they bring them to us and we nurture them back into health and back back into nature.
1: Can anyone bring a an injured wild animal to you?
2: Yes, they can. And they, and they do. So we have actually a kind of a division of labor with the SPCA, the Society for Preventing Cruelty against Animals, they take care of more domestic animals. And we take care of wild animals. So we've got a wild animal rescue center. So people bring birds, also, we have an agreement with the Hong Kong police that every stray, stray snake which is being caught somewhere is being brought to Kadori Farm Botanic Garden. So, in the old days, you've got people who catch snakes, and well, in the old days, they used to go to restaurants, right, because people ate them. We made an agreement some 25 years ago that these people still get paid when they get a when they get a snake, but they bring it to the police, and the police brings them to us. We get in the high season again, it's the wet season, up to two deliveries per day. We get literally 1,500 snakes a year, so that cannot be 10, 20 a day sometimes. And it goes from small crates to big over-constrictors to Burmese pythons. So all these snakes in general are in good health because they're not so injured. We release them again somewhere in the wild. We don't do too much in the open because lots of people are still afraid of snakes. But I think 90% of our snakes are being back released in the wild. And we do it when there's nobody around, but they are being release back where we believe they come from
1: you know the, normally with exotic pets or whatever people don't really realize they think oh wouldn't this be a cool animal to have but it's actually quite damaging to be doing it
2: yeah you can leave out the word quite it's very damaging uh i mean what's happening in the world is that people are buying pets some of these pets were not even rare when it started like parrots or cockatoos. But they're being they're being traded in such large quantities, they're becoming rare and they're becoming almost extinct because of this pet trade. That's one. Secondly, if you look at the pet trade itself, and I've been to bird markets in Jakarta and other cities in, in Bangkok, these animals are being so poorly managed traded, that lots of them die. And eventually, when they arrive in a pet shop and arrive in a house in Hong Kong, people don't know how to take care of these poor animals because they come from a jungle in Africa, don't even know what they eat. So lots of these animals simply die somewhere. And that's why this this trade in pets is so damaging. It's damaging for, of course, first for the animals, but also for the species and for nature more generally. So my strong advice would be simply don't buy exotic pets, just buy pets which are part of your own country, or I would say buy a, a cat or a dog.
1: Okay, so we were ticking down, we had the birds, we went through the reptiles, we had the snakes, and I think we still have mammals and amphibians that you have.
2: Yeah. Amphibians, of course, you don't see that much. That's a more of a rare species. We have amphibians, but I don't bring them often because people don't come across often amphibians. So there's not much to talk about amphibians generally or about as a rescue, uh, species. Mammals are perhaps a bit more interesting. It can be big animals like barking deer get stuck in fences. And then we, we, we got a whole veterinarians who take care of exotic animals. So actually I saw them today because the, the farm was closed, but the, our vet shop was open because they need to operate. They need to rescue these animals when they get injured. So we have, so barking deer, you've got wild boar, you've got all these bigger mammals, which they bring to us too. They got it. We release them again if, if possible. If they're too injured, we keep them. So we've got a few barking deer in our farm who stay there basically. And we even got pangolins in. So we had a few pangolins. We had, I counted 15 pangolins in over the last uh, 20 years. In general these penguins are not being trafficked luckily in Hong Kong they're more being attacked by dogs or whatever so they're injured by dog bites so the penguins come to us and we release them very secretly somewhere in Hong Kong.
1: All right we we honed in on the wild animal rescue center but obviously Kaduri Farm is much bigger than that maybe you could just briefly explain those components of what else they do and uh when do we get to go visit Kajuri Farms again?
2: <laughs> I think you should visit any, any day after the year is good, but this uh, time of year is particularly good because we've got the cherry blossoms, uh, what you see normally in Japan where people flock to in April. We've got them now, we've got the peach blossoms. So it is actually quite busy at the moment uh, outside on the trail. So we have, of course, it's a, beautiful, it's a beautiful place to hike. It's a large estate of 148 hectares and you can hike all day We have so many trails. It's steep, so there's a lot to see in, in, as a hiking trail. But what we do actually is three major things. So we talked about animal rescue and animal rehabilitation. We do nature conservation as a big issue on its own right. So we, we do a reforestation from a scientific perspective, and also to teach other organizations how to do reforestation, which is a lot more than just planting trees. We try to restore biodiversity. Uh, we do. Then we have a big part, which is called uh, low carbon living. Uh, we've got a green hub which is in typo where we have a lot of i would say programs how people can live differently if we'd like to mainstream alternative life that's how we labelled it ourselves so basically we low carbon living is more than just eating vegan but also is how you can produce your food without using less energy that you have to see how you can grow your own food without using pesticides herbicides or or, or fertilizers so we have a whole i would say sustainable living agriculture in the green hub which takes which tries to teach people how to live differently and more in in tune with nature so that's an important part of us and linked to that which is very important is our holistic education so we've got a big education center where we educate the traditional way we educate children about nature we educate also call it less advantaged children so poorer children all we have at the moment we do a program for visually impaired children because Visually impaired children never are into nature. They don't, can't see nature, but they can't. Of course, they can feel it and smell it and hear it. So we've got a program now for visually impaired children. They they come to our farm and and touch animals and things like that. And then we do holistic education, more called being in touch with nature, being in touch with earth, which we call the soul, the soil, and society, because it's more than just. Teaching people about nature, but also about the soil, what most people don't know much about. And the soil, of course, is where it all starts. Without the soil, there's no nature, there's no flora and no fauna. So that's, I would say, the major part of what we do. And I think what makes Kadori Farm so special is that we always try to look at a holistic approach. So when you have a botanic garden, normally it's a botanic garden, right? It's a combination of plants. But we have a big fauna department, we've got a flora department, we've got agriculture, we've got education, and all these brings together. I would say makes it such a unique place.
1: And that was Wander Mir speaking to Marcy Trent Long on Monday's Trash Talk. If you would like to know more about the work they do, please visit the Kaduri Farm website at kfbg.org. Last week, one of the greatest and most influential singers in India, Latna Magershka, passed away at the age of 92. Latna's voice graced Indian film soundtracks for over three generations and captured the hearts of millions she received several accolades and honors throughout her career, including the Bharat Ratna, India's highest civil honor. Her passing was a shock to many fans, and the Indian government has ordered two days of national mourning for the late singer. Zheyang Vanjeri, the chair of the South Asian Art Academy in Hong Kong, who personally knew Latna, pays tribute to the life and work of the legendary singer.
3: Yes, I did have the honor of and the privilege of knowing her personally. Um... And uh, it all, uh, let me tell you a little bit about uh, how that happened. In 1994, um, she uh, performed in Hong Kong. And that was the time when, uh, at the Hong Kong Coliseum, uh, with uh, a uh, group of 30 local musicians, which called themselves at that time the Hong Kong Philharmonia Orchestra. Um, and, of course, her troupe of 12 musicians. And uh when she was in Hong Kong, uh, I was involved in that show. And I had the pleasure of spending nearly three to four days with her here. Wow. Um, I mean, and I had known the family a little bit before then, her family through her brother, Radhinath Mangeshkar. And then through the years, uh, I grew close to some of the members, uh, nephew, uh, Baiju Mangeshkar, who also came and performed in Hong Kong much later under, uh, uh, in one of our shows, um, uh, is a very dear friend. And that's how I know the family and I've met her on a few occasions after the show as well.
4: I was watching something just recently, just a little video about her and um, in that they were interviewing her and she was saying that, you know, when she first started recording these, these songs for films, she would sit there for for the whole day in the studio recording one after the other. And she said, I used to notice that people used to go out and go and have their meals and come back, but I just didn't know what to do or where to go. And and she would sit there and she would not eat all day and
3: that's that's very right she did not know that the studio had something called a canteen Canteen,
4: that's what she said (laughs) Um, which just shows that she was very very sort of very humble and quite naive in many ways because really she hadn't had much experience before
5: she started not at all Mm-hmm. You know
3: what? You know what? Really, uh, the other thing was that you know, she, little things like, for instance, she had to go by suburban train to one of Bombay suburbs, and then from the station to the studio. where well, everybody else took a horse uh, 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 cab, uh, horse-drawn carriage. Yeah. Uh, she. She had she walked it because That's to save the saying. two or three rupees,
4: exactly.
5: which
3: she would then use to buy vegetables to take back home.
4: That's what she you said know? in the interview. It was, was, it was saying, just yeah.
3: incredible. The other thing is that what what also helped her is that her mentors, the music directors or the composers that worked with her were very protective about her.
5: Mm.
3: You know, yeah. and all she had a lot of self-respect. I mean, this is something that was her family's can see her the dignity. Legacy.
4: Absolutely. Yes. You can see the dignity in just her stance. Um, the other mm. thing that was incredibly interesting was that, you know, when she is singing some of these tracks um, for Bollywood films, she is, mm. I mean, Urdu. I mean, her native language is not Urdu, which is yes, the Murachi. language that she yes. uses. But yes. it's amazing the precision that she has. So that must have taken a huge amount of training and discipline.
3: Actually, you see, the thing is that most good singers, if you've got a good, uh, uh, most good singers have a very good ear, well-developed ear. Mm -hmm. And it is very natural for them to pick up pronunciation with very little effort, actually. So what happened was that, uh, uh, you know, one, a very famous actor by the name of Dilip Kumar, when he first met her, he made some some pretty snarky remark on her Urdu and she took it to heart. And she went to one of the people in the industry and said, please get me an Urdu tutor. So there was a uh, priest, a Malvi, you know, who used to come and teach her Urdu. And he taught her not only how to read, write and speak Urdu, but also drew her into Urdu literature. Uh, Urdu poetry, etc. So at a very young age, she developed the sensibilities, the yes. you know, poetic sensibilities that I think really did help her a lot in terms of contributing to her aesthetic sense because you need to understand one thing. Lata Mangeshkar is not simply a beautiful voice which is well-trained. Mm, she's Lata a Mangeshkar cultured. is a,
5: mm-hmm. yeah,
3: something, something, it's beyond that. She, uh, she is the ultimate, uh, in, in, at least in terms of the Hindi film industry, she's the ultimate aesthetic She Mm -hmm. knew her, uh, she knew what beauty meant, you know, innately had a sense of that. So, yeah, that is how she picked up Urdu pronunciation. And I might add here that uh, in December 2017, when I and a group of my students from Hong Kong had gone to see her,
5: Mm -hmm.
3: she held forth with us for, I kid you not, 15 minutes and telling us on, uh, talking to us about the nuances of Urdu pronunciation in music
6: while singing.
3: It was quite a lesson. It was quite a little seminar for us, you know, I mean, and where some of a few of the tricks of the trade, because, you know, spoken Urdu has a lot of guttural sounds where, you know, if you try and sing with those, it does, uh, it it can be very jarring to the ears. Mm -hmm. So there is a technique of softening them, yet being very faithful to the pronunciation. And this is what she pointed out to us. So I'm very fortunate to have actually received a little bit of training. from
4: absolutely honoured and privileged to have even, you know, to have had that time with her. Can I just ask you, Jeng, because Mm. I know you teach Hindustani music and you have a number of students here in Hong Kong that you are teaching. Um, Now, You know, with Bollywood now, you know, when you listen to some of the modern music, you know, the Mm -hmm. pronunciation, like that whole pronunciation of Urdu, everything, is not so pronounced anymore in many of the tracks. For you as somebody who teaches, how valuable is that? Are we losing it or is it still alive? Are there still people who want to keep that Urdu
3: alive? very few of them i think the um uh, the emphasis at the moment uh, in all bollywood new bollywood music it's become um and i i'm not using this as a Bad. I'm not saying this is a bad mm-hmm. thing. It is just a sign of the times. Mm-hmm. It's obviously we've become very Western influenced and way too much so. Um, uh, so it's losing a lot of its Indianness. The only Indianness you can see it, in it is the lyrics, some of them, not all of them. And uh, sometimes the singing and the vocal nuances and the ornamentation that you hear. Uh, so the emphasis has definitely shifted. They have become far less uh, particular about their pronunciation. Um, and uh, uh, this is one thing that yes, uh, I see which is gradually diminishing. Although there is, there are, there have been movements to keep Urdu and a lot of the other regional languages alive, so that uh, the, especially Urdu, because uh, the pronunciation is quite, uh, they're very specific in terms of the pronunciation. So you do see that uh, it's it's gradually dying down. But for me, when I teach my students. My guru, uh, the legendary, another legend in the Hindustani classical music, Kishori Amunkar, uh, was very particular about pronunciation, even though classical Hindustani music uh, is not lyric heavy. Um, but she uh, she insisted that if you have words, you need to be able to uh, enunciate them in the correct way mm-hmm. and that too musically so. So she used to use a very interesting word, musifying the words.
5: Mm-hmm. And I think
3: in in terms of Hindi film music, there was no better person than Lata Mangeshkar, uh, who she knew really how to musify words.
1: And that was J.N. Nivanjari on Thursday's 123 show. In case you didn't know, the Oscar Academy Award nominations were just released this Wednesday. And this year, we get to see films representing different countries and cultures from all around the world fighting for the spotlight. I wonder which film might get the most awards. Do you have a favorite? Up next, film critic James Marsh spoke to Phil Wheelan on Thursday's morning brew about his thoughts and predictions about the nominations. Maybe you get to hear him sulk about them.
6: Oh yes, you know this is like um Award season has
0: has begun. Gloat, gloat now. season for you has begun, but don't forget they haven't given out these things yet. They've just nominated
6: them. No, they haven't. <laughs> well, no, this is it. But at least we know who's going to be who's going to be on the pitch, as it were. You know, this this is as as near to sports as it gets in uh, in my profession. Yay! And uh, it's and it's very exciting. And as as is always the case, you know, you've got a number of surprises, number of things to be happy about, number of things to, as you say, gloat about the fact that we predicted them correctly. But as always. There are a number of sort of snubs and a number of sort of shocking decisions which are going to lead, you know, are now going to sort of change, change the course of the next uh, few weeks. Yeah, you
0: kind of got on a roll with this stuff. I think, I mean, you know, of course, you do know what you're talking about, but some, do you think some just do stand
6: out? Yeah, no, there are some sort of glaring omissions, um, you know, and I, I think I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but not least Denis Villeneuve's uh, lack of a best director nod for Dune, a film that was, is obviously incredibly popular. Um It secured 10 nominations, literally in every other category that people expected it might show up. It did. And then the, the captain of the ship doesn't get a nomination for himself. I mean, to be fair, he has been nominated as a producer for best picture and as a, a screenwriter for best adapted screenplay, but that's not kind of the same thing. I'm sure he'll be very happy, but uh, it's, it's not the same, but, You know, there is a silver lining, which is it looks like his lack of a nomination for best director is what made way for Ryusuke Hamaguchi to secure his best director nod for Drive My Car. Well, let me let me ask you once
0: again to join us on Facebook Live if you want to, because this you may be able to help us with. Why don't you, James, explain very simply the process? Because you might say, oh, it's politics. You might say, well, they actually fairly and squarely did think this. Tell us what you know.
6: Well, there's, an, there's like nine and a half thousand members of the Academy. It's a very diversified um, membership in the last couple of years, which I think has led to a lot of um, acknowledgement and recognition for sort of a more varied bunch of films. You see a lot more international films being recognised in Sort of more categories this year Like I said Jai mccarr has got four nominations The Norwegian film Worst Person in the World By Joe Contrier Has got uh, two nominations Not only Best International Film But also for Best Original Screenplay Pedro Almodovar's Parallel Mothers picked up two nominations, best actress for Penelope Cruz and uh best score as well. So those kind of nominations yeah. are the ones that and and then yeah drive my car getting best picture, best director, best adapted screenplay as well as best international film. So that is because you're seeing those nominations because I think the more diversified membership. Um my understanding of how it works at the moment is people in their categories vote for or in their particular trades departments vote for those nominees. Uh, but then whatever's on the ballot at the, um, now everybody who's an academy member
0: gets to vote for everything that's on the ballot. Is it more complex than you think it should be? You've said the <clears throat> word diverse a few times, and I know that's a massive issue.
6: Mm -hmm. No, I I don't think it's it's overly complex. I think it's it's a good thing. I think, you know, for too long, it's been too many old white men sitting at home going, what are the four films I saw this year? Uh, By bringing in a far more diverse membership, which they've done organically over time by literally... Well, I mean,
0: quite frankly, James... you know mm-hmm. it's a bunch of diverse people sitting at home going these are the four films i've seen this year i mean we're not different different you know different planets sure because really, those will
6: be those will be different those will be four different films yeah of course or they're they more likely to be yeah, four yeah, different yeah. Yes. so there you go so that's that's the definition of of diversity the other thing that has helped this year is for a number of years now they've had this idea of they uh, there will be up to 10 best picture nominees right. as long as everything secures at least 5% um, this year, they said there will be definitely ten best picture nominees, and what that does, it just opens up the field that little bit wider. You know, I think there were seven or eight films that people thought were pretty much a lock that have all got in, but then you've seen a few outliers, and I think it's because of that that again you see Drive My Car get in, that you see Nightmare Alley get in, and uh, and another film sort of creep creep in there. You know, alongside the Expected favourites like Power of the Dog, Belfast, West Side Story, and you. Yeah, Power of the Dog. Power of the Dog. Those four words have been
0: uttered quite a lot. Uh you remember we yes. talked we talked about this, you loved it, and I said the internet spoke and said, Oh, come on, really? But that's just the way it's gonna be, isn't it?
6: I'm not sure which corners of the internet are you reading Same as because you, James, just nor do people, I, you just you just don't I like to read people wants, who no. disagree with you. <laughs> it's very simple. I'm, no, I'm, I'm more I'm open-minded. <laughs> I'll remember that. Okay. <laughs> I think it has been one of the most sort of universally sort of acclaimed and recognized movies. I think, you know, it came out of um, Venice, I think in September and was pretty sort of universally lauded as, as, you know, critically at least as one of the best films of the year. Um, it doesn't have box office numbers because it's, it was bought by and distributed by Netflix. Um, but if, so therefore it's in every home. It, well, if you have Netflix and I recommend that people do watch it. Um, but there are, there are some, um, glaring shutouts in the major acting categories, yes. not least, not least Lady Gaga in Best Actress wow, for, um, House were of Gucci. People going nuts about her,
0: weren't they? Goodness me. Yeah, I
6: mean, it's been a fairly, it's been a fairly wide open field in the Best Actress category this year, and I think sh- so far she had been the only contender who had been nominated in, in like, every award going forward, um... I, it looks like Kristen Stewart took her spot, and I'm really happy about that. You I keep saying Stewart spot. Stayed. Is this just a
0: conventionally accepted quote spot?
6: Well, I mean, because there's a there's a you know specified number of of spots. You know, there are five nominees I up for grabs. Like, five. You know what I mean? It's... Does it have
0: happen? But name is and... it, I mean,
6: it's just. It's it's prediction, and you know people who watch these awards races year after year after year. By the time the Oscar nominations come out, um, pretty much every other award ceremony has has announced their nominations, if not their winners yeah, already. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and you do just see the same names showing up again and again. You know, a lot of them have got a lot of money behind their campaigns. And so you can predict with some degree of certainty and there are surprises and there are. And that's why you can consider the fact that Lady Gaga hasn't been nominated. A quote unquote snub.
1: Film critic James Marsh on Wednesday's Morning Brew. To end today's week on three, I'll leave you with Steve James, who will be taking you back to the 1960s. I'm Christy Lai.
5: The factories may be roaring mm-hmm. With the boom a lack a zoom a a But there isn't any roar When the clock strikes four Everything, Everything stops for tea Oh, a lawyer in the courtroom In the middle of an alimony plea Has to stop and help him fall When the clock strikes four Everything stops for tea.
3: Tea break this afternoon. This day, 1969, the Who recorded Pinball Wizard at Morgan Studios in London. The song is one of the band's most famous live songs, and it's been played at almost every Who concert since its debut live performance on the 2nd of May, 1969. The track famously featured on their 1969 rock opera album, Tommy.
5: A young boy I played the silver ball from Soho down to Brighton I must have played them all well, I ain't seen nothing like him in any amusement hall that death dumb not like it. sure plays a meme